Good morning and welcome to worship today at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor and it's a joy to be with you all today. Here at Kern Church, we're committed to creating belonging and hope by connecting you to a life renewed by Jesus and deeply committed to other people. And whether you're here in person or joining us on our live stream, I want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. Right now, I want to say a word of prayer as we, as we enter into this space of worship. God, I thank you, I thank you that in the midst whatever going on in life, in people's hearts, that you are still God. I pray, O oh Lord, that you are blessed this morning. I pray that you are blessed through our worship of you, and I pray that you open the hearts, open the hearts of each one who is here today, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I want to tell you about something that an experience that I had uh, several years ago. I was actually still in graduate school and seminary at the time. And uh, over the summer, I received a, a grant from, from Emory to work in a, a local church that year, or at least for the summertime. So I was like a, a getting paid uh, by Emory to work in a local church for about 10 weeks that summer. And this was really a, a great experience. I was accepted to work in a church in my hometown. And this was at a time in our community where there was some really, it was a really difficult time because just a few miles from, from the house, like from the area that I grew up in, uh, the, the whole community was devastated by a tornado. It just so happens just a couple years ago, just like, you know, uh, half a mile from my house is what was devastated by a tornado. So the community really has had a lot of experience with devastating storms over the past few years. But at this time, uh, you know, 12 years ago or so, I, was, I got an internship at Ottawa United Methodist Church. And uh, the neat thing about this is that after I graduated, my first, uh, my first appointment, that's what United Methodist pastors talk about being called to a church, my first appointment was actually as one of the pastors at Ottawa United Methodist. And so this was um, kind of unrelated, but there I was uh, kind of before all that happened. But the summer that I was working at, at that church was well, I was working on a special uh, kind of a community project to help with the tornado, tornado relief efforts in the community. We were doing a, a big a benefit show, actually, that was uh, put together by the local ministerial association. And this benefit show was designed to bless the families that, had, uh, that, that, were, that were tornado survivors, for one instance. So there was a magician that was there. There was uh, uh, activities. I mean, it was supposed to be this, this really wholesome family event. And... Um, and it was a, a great effort, but also it was to raise money to help in the tornado relief as well. And, and there was a great turnout, and, and I think most people enjoyed it, but something, um, a couple of things happened that, that, at that event that just didn't sit right with me at the time, and these are things that I still think about to this day. See, part of the event uh, was that there was a preacher who was sharing and now I want to preface this by saying this was a, a Christian event. I mean, it's put together by the local Christian Ministers Association, but it was supposed to be a community event, and it was ecumenical, which means that it was non-denominational, that there were Baptists there, there were Methodists there, there were Seventh-day Adventists there, there were Episcopalians there, a whole host of, of different groups that were leading it. And um, 
it was supposed to be all of this, and there were tornado survivors there as well. But this preacher that got up to speak at one time realized that he had a captive audience, and it was probably the biggest audience that he had ever had in his entire life. And so he wanted to make sure the words that he had to say mattered. Now, if you've ever been to a, a funeral, perhaps, where there's some, been some really cringe words that were said by, by the pastor, the person officiating, think about that, okay? And, and so he started in on, on these folks and started in on the topic of doubt and salvation, okay? And it was very specific things that he was sharing. He shared something that is stuck in my mind ever since. He was speaking about doubt. He was speaking about salvation. And, and this pastor, uh, he said that in order to be saved, in order to be saved, you had to have an unquestioning faith. In fact, he, the, the phrase that he used is you have to know that you know that you were saved. Now, I don't know how many you know that you knows counts until you figure out that you actually are saved. Um, I, I always learned that you were saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and not necessarily our own knowledge. But, but whatever the case may be, this, this pastor took it upon this time to... Um, there's another thing that was really bad that happened too. One of the persons who was praying was, was trying to impress on people on how they should uh, you know, come to Jesus and compared tornadoes to hell, and it was really, really insensitive and really bad, and that person's a county commissioner, and I should just sh shut up right now talking about that, but, but, but the, the, this, this is stuck in my mind ever since of how, of how in this ecumenical meeting of how there were different people there from different backgrounds, this, this pastor took it as his, his job to convince everyone there that, that doubt was opposed to to faith. And if anybody had any doubt, their salvation, their, their, their security, and the grace and love of Jesus Christ was in jeopardy. Doubt was the enemy at faith. And, and today, this memory strikes me because the was so wrong. At least I can say, as a United Methodist pastor, from my perspective and from the way that I read the gospel and the way that I understand faith, this pastor was so wrong. The truth is, is that doubt is common for all people. All people who are ever on a spiritual journey will, well, most will, if they're honest with themselves, experience doubt at some point along this journey. In fact, there's been a lot of research done lately by a group known as Barna. It's a, a research group that looks into religiosity of, of Americans specifically and in the church. And they report that, um, that over half of teens and adults in the United States, over half of teens and adults say that they've experienced doubt about their religious belief at least some time over the past few years. Over half of, of adults and, and teens say that they've experienced some type of doubt about their religious beliefs over the past few years. And on top of this, on top of this, about half of all Christians, so think about all Christians, yourself and those around you, half of you, half of us, say that they have gone through prolonged periods of doubt. So it's not just having a little bit of doubt, but half of people who call on the name of Jesus, who, 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 who fellowship with other Christians, who consider themselves persons of faith, half of, half of us, I mean that's me, half of us have gone through periods of prolonged doubt. In fact, only about 20% of Christians 
report to have never experienced doubt in their faith. And I have to wonder if that's colored by the preaching of the pastor who says if, you're, if, if you have doubts, then, then you're, you may not really know Jesus. You see, doubt is a part of life. And doubt is especially a part of spiritual life. And this is why we are opening our, our back-to-school season with a new message series called I Doubt That, a syllabus for dealing with doubt. And at the beginning of class, right, you get a syllabus. And, um, and on that syllabus, it says all the things you need to know about the class. It, it gives the attendance policy, if there is one. It talks about how the grades will be calculated. It, it'll, it'll tell you, if you're in, in university, it'll tell you all the assignments that you're, that you're going to have. It'll lay everything out. It's kind of the contract that, that the, the professor, the teacher is making with you as a student. If this is what you'll learn... And as a corollary, it also tells you about the things that, that you're not going to learn, the things that, that aren't going to be there, the things that, that the class will not be about. So you really have an idea on that first day of class, if you just read the syllabus, what to expect in the class. And I can't remember how many times people would come up and question like why there was a test or something that nobody you know, told them about, and all you had to do is read your syllabus, and it was right there on the syllabus, every, everything you need to know about the class. So as we begin this message series, Dealing with Doubt, I want to first tell you what this message series is not about, what's not included in this message series. When, when some talk about doubt, they talk about it like that, like, that, like that preacher that I just told you about, as something, as something that is an enemy of faith. And in some religious communities, doubt and questioning, they're just, they're just not welcome because it is more important to be certain of your beliefs than perhaps to be honest or open about them. To be strong in your beliefs and to defend them from every enemy and from every doubt is, is a higher priority in some religious communities than, than it is even dealing and being honest with the doubts that you may have. And I want you to know that this is not what this message series is about. While we'll hopefully discover some tools that you can use to, to help you in periods of doubt in your life and, and that you can use that can be practical in your life, I want you to know that, that my approach as we're looking at doubt and considering doubt is always going to be, is always going to be we're going to deal with this with a sense of honesty and openness always going to look at this with a sense of honesty and openness. I, I hope that, that you will bring your own doubts and your own concerns and your own questions about faith and life and allow yourself to be open to them and, and, and to, to open to how your faith may grow in the midst. In fact, when it comes to doubt, much doubt is caused um, not necessarily by what people believe, but much doubt is caused by how people act. And much doubt in, in America today is caused by followers of Jesus who act really not the way Jesus taught people to act. What happens is that people see Christians who claim certainty in their beliefs, who claim that, 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 that certain things are true and that they believe certain things, but then their lives don't, just don't look the way that Jesus taught people to live. And according to the, some of the research that I showed or talked about earlier, it, it's that hypocrisy of religious people, hypocrisy of people who, who supposedly believe in Jesus is, is the top driver of doubt in society as a whole. 
So, so whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, doubt about religious belief will just join you for, for a multitude of reasons. You know, maybe, maybe you or somebody you know has experienced uh, deep doubt in your life or in their life due to the hypocrisy of, of church people. If you've been in church for any period of time, you know what I'm talking about. You know the hypocrisy of church people because you've experienced it. And, and if you haven't been for, in church for any period of time, you understand people and you understand that people don't, aren't always their best, best selves. But maybe this is something that, that has caused doubt in your own life or doubt in your children's life or doubt in, in your neighbor's lives of people that are connected to you. Or maybe you experience the most doubt because of the suffering that you witness in the world. And this is a big one. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, young children dying from terrible diseases. The loss of a child in your own family or maybe a diagnosis of your spouse or yourself that, that just changes all the hopes and the dreams that you thought that you had, had for the future. Or maybe you, you, you've experienced doubt or you experienced doubt in life because you've been praying about something and God just hasn't answered. You have this like unanswered prayer and, 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 and at least God hasn't answered it in the way that you wanted God to answer it, but you prayed for the miracle and the miracle didn't come. Or you prayed for the healing, the healing didn't come. Or you prayed for that job offer and it just wasn't what you expected or, or what you, you, you needed. And, and so maybe one of the reasons that you doubt or that others around you doubt is because they don't, they don't have the answers that they hope God would, would offer to them through prayer. As a side note, if you want to dig into prayer and, and want to dig into things like unanswered prayer in general, I want to invite you to join me for the prayer course starting August 16th because this is something that we'll dive in throughout the weeks of that course. Or maybe you've experienced doubt because you have difficulties in, in understanding the Bible or, or trying to, to reconcile science to faith, or, or maybe you're just unsure about the, the existence of God, and, and, and you're not sure and concerned. And Maybe these are things, if they're not you, they're things that others around you are feeling. So whether you are, wherever you are, or wherever you have been in your doubt, I want you to know that you are not, you're not alone. You're really not alone. In fact, there are many others who are in the exact same place that you are in, whether you believe it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you know them or not. Many others are feeling and are doubting the exact same ways that you are. And today I want to spend some time sharing with you, sharing with you about the doubts of one of Jesus' closest followers. Some doubts. This is one of Jesus' closest followers who had spent years of his life devoted to following him, but even he, he had doubts when it came to the most important things in life. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with me, I'm going to read from John chapter 20. And John is the, the fourth book in the New Testament. It tells the stories, uh, some of the stories about Jesus and who he is. And here, John is telling you, is telling us about what happened after Jesus had been killed and resurrected. He was raised from the dead. And John is telling us, about what happens after Jesus was raised from the dead. And what you have to know is that people during this time, during the life of Jesus, they weren't dumb, right? They, they weren't dumb. They knew that dead people stayed dead. 
In fact, death was much more a part of life uh, 2,000 years ago than it is today. And people knew that when people were dead, they didn't become undead. Like, that's just not something that happened. Dead people stayed dead. And so when, when the news about Jesus' resurrection from the dead was spread, I mean, some people rightfully found it a little suspicious. I mean, this is a little sus that, 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 um, that, that, that a, this man who was killed would, would be alive again. And one of Jesus' closest followers, a guy by the name of Thomas, experienced this. Here's what, uh, here's what happens to, with Thomas in verse 24 of chapter 20. Here John tells us that Thomas, the one called Didymus, one of the twelve, wasn't with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Okay, so what happened is, is Jesus died, he rose from the grave, and then he started appearing to folks. And, and some of the first folks he appeared to were his closest followers who were kind of scared and hanging out in this room with the doors locked. And so Jesus came to them and, and showed him that he was alive and they were excited about this. And, and so they'd say, you know, we see the Lord. We know that Jesus is alive. And I, what you have to know is that all of Jesus' closest followers, except Thomas, were present for this. Everyone was there, except Thomas was out getting lunch, or who knows what he was out doing. But, but Thomas was out, and, and Thomas doesn't get this. And Thomas knows what you know, dead people stay dead. And so Thomas replied, uh, um, guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger in his wounds left by the nails, and put my hand in his side, you know, I, I'm not going to believe. Thomas tells him, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but I know the way the world works, and I know that, that I'm really sad too, but I, I'm just not believing this. This is where Thomas gets the nickname Doubting Thomas. And if the skeptic today, perhaps they get that same nickname too, Doubting, Doubting Thomas. I mean, it's stuck with him. It's stuck in our vernacular all these years. But here's the thing. Thomas, he kind of gets a bad rap when it comes to this. I don't know about you, but I can relate to Thomas. I mean, he isn't asking for anything that his friends didn't already have. His friends had already seen Jesus. His friends had already seen the wounds. His friends had already received proof that Jesus was alive. And all Thomas is asking is for the same proof that his friends had received. I mean, he has doubts that a dead man can be alive again. And this is like reasonable, right? This is a reasonable amount of doubt. But this doesn't make him bad. This doesn't make Thomas one who lacks faith. I think it just makes him human. It just makes him a human being. Before Jesus' death, you see, Thomas was, was one of, if not the most committed, of Jesus' followers. John tells us about this in, in John chapter 11. What was happening is that Jesus was in danger, okay? Jesus was in danger, and, and some of Jesus' followers were trying to warn him that, they, that Jesus was in danger. So he was like, hey, you know, Jesus, I know you want to do, do good things, and I know you want to share about God's kingdom, but what you've got to understand is that people are out to get you. So you need to be careful, okay? And we need to protect you. And, and, and Thomas, in the midst of this, he speaks up, and he's like, you know what? We can't stop Jesus. Jesus has something big to do. And he said, he said, in John chapter 11, verse 16, let's go too. 
so that we may die with Jesus. I mean, this is a big deal. Everyone else is trying to stop Jesus, and Thomas is like, you know what, I get it. I'm sold out. I am his follower. I am am following Jesus wherever it takes me. I'll even follow Jesus to the death. It's not that Thomas lacked faith. Thomas had faith, and he showed it in his life. It's just that he needed some time to process what was happening, what was going on. Thomas just needed some time to think. I think back to that preacher at that community event that spoke about the necessity of unquestioning faith. And I wonder what he might say about Thomas. I mean, Thomas believed and Thomas doubted. It's not that Thomas was, was a person of unbelief. Thomas believed and he, and he doubted. So, so how did Jesus respond to Thomas's doubt? Did he reject him? Did he say, you know, you lack certainty, so I can't be with you? Or did he respond with openness and understanding? Well, John tells us in John chapter 20, verse 26, that after eight days, his disciples were again in a house, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. No more disbelief. Believe. And Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord, my God. I mean, for eight days, Thomas sat with his doubt and all his friends were going crazy. For eight days, he wasn't getting over it. It was still with him. And then Jesus came to Thomas when he was still doubting, when he was still unsure. Thomas is honest and open about his doubt. And Jesus responds with the same type of honesty and and openness. And Jesus gives Thomas exactly what he needed. Jesus allows Thomas to explore his doubts to touch his wounds, to look with his own eyes, and to experience belief through his doubt. You see, if you doubt, God is not far off. God is not far off. Doubt does not disqualify your faith. Doubts do not have to drive you away from God. God can use your doubts to draw you to Himself. Now, it's important to be honest with yourself and the doubts that you have. Because, because faith that sees that doubt is an enemy is a faith that can easily break. It's a faith that when you are confronted with the hard things of life, it's a faith that can break down because it's been unexamined. But when doubt is properly handled, it can be a catalyst for, for a stronger faith. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in this. Is, is, that, Jesus, is that Jesus is someone who is open to your questions. Jesus is someone who is, who is open to your doubts and concerns. And, and we see this in the way that Jesus met and cared for one of the most famous doubters of all time. So if you are a person of faith, your doubting does not disqualify your faith. A faith that can be destroyed by, 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 by doubts is not a faith that's been built on a strong foundation. And I want to say, I don't say that as a critique of those who have left the faith. Instead, it's just a statement that that Jesus can handle your doubts. That God's not too big, or God's not too small to live with what's struggling in your heart or or to to not help you in the midst of it. And when you you give this to Jesus, when you look and and confront it in your own heart, it can result in a richer and and, and even a stronger faith. We live in a culture that has a...
spiritual hunger. I mean, this is, this is something that we continue to see demonstrated. We live in a culture that has a growing spiritual hunger. I mean, right now, we're seeing that across all generations, there is a desire for people to grow spiritually, that people have a desire to grow spiritually. And, and a majority of people are, are open to tapping more deeply into their, their spiritual life. People are curious, and many people are even open to Jesus. Many non-Christians are even open to Jesus. But here's the thing. Even though people are, are open to a spiritual journey, even though many people are open to Jesus, many doubt, and this is the hard part, many doubt if the church is a place where they can meet Jesus. Many doubt if the church is a place where they can actually have an honest encounter with God. Many doubt if the church is a place where they can actually have an honest encounter with faith. And to me, this is heartbreaking, right? Because Jesus is the one who, who embraced Thomas with honesty and openness about every doubt and every question that he had. But imagine what Imagine what our church could be if, if, if we treated things like doubting and questioning like Jesus did. And not just our church, but all churches. Not, not things to be avoided at all costs, but open, open to hearing questions, being open and, and honest about your doubts and your questions. And this could lay a foundation on which people are able to have an authentic experience with the divine. Where current church could be a place where Kern Church could be a place for spiritual seekers to find other seekers and to live life together in the midst of questioning, even in the midst of doubt, and hopefully to meet God along the way. I mean, this is my hope. This is my hope. And I want to invite you to consider your own doubts, your own story of doubting. And I even want to invite you to be a part of the conversation. And, and inside in the response, in the next steps section of your bulletin, there's, there's a QR code. And, and if you are struggling and have your own story of doubt, I want to invite you to, to scan that code. And the very top response on that, that, that page will take you is a response that, that says, share about your doubts. And, and if you click that, you'll be taken to a form where you can share about your doubts. You can share about your own story, perhaps, of, of doubting, an own experience you want to share. And maybe right now you're not ready to share this, but you want to talk about it. And you want to pray about it. And you can also indicate that on this form as well. And if you do that, I'm going to reach out to you in the next day or so um, and, and to, to invite a you into a conversation to invite you into a space of prayer so that we can, we can openly and honestly deal with, with the struggles that you're facing in your hearts and in your lives. So I, as your pastor, can pray for you and pray with you. And I believe that as we share and as we pray together, God can, can use this for you to grow deeper in your faith, for you to experience your doubts and questions with openness and honesty, for God to really bless you in a powerful way. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time together. I pray that you, you bless us in our doubts and our concerns. I pray that your spirit is alive and speaks into hearts of each one. And that those who have something to share, that they will reach out. And that they will find the embrace that they need. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.
one of the ways that God continues to reach out is through when the believers of Jesus follow together and share in a meal of Holy Communion. You see, communion was a meal first shared by, by Jesus with His followers before He would meet His death. And then it was shared, been shared ever since by the followers of Jesus. People who are, are struggling with their own doubts and their own questions about who God is and, and really what Jesus' desire is for them. The way it happened is that Jesus met with His followers in a room together. They shared a meal. And He took a loaf of bread and blessed it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and, 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 and poured it out and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. And so as, as we, God's people, full of doubts and questions, come to this table to prepare to receive the presence of Jesus Christ, know that wherever you are, God wants to welcome you openness, and honesty. So I invite you now to join me in prayer. Most holy God, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Make us one with you and one with each other so that we can embrace all with openness and honesty and we may become closer to you and closer to one another through it. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This is the body of Christ given for you. The cup of salvation poured out for you. Lord, I give you thanks for this most holy meal. I pray that you use it to strengthen each of your followers. Strengthen all those who have received with Your gracious presence. Lead us on to believe, even though we have not seen. Lead each one to be welcome in their doubts and their questions. Knowing that nothing is too big for You. And that Your grace is here. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Go this day with the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you be filled with Christ's presence in your heart. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.